0: Hey, friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that this message you hear today will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, you can check out our website at cbcmadeira.com. And there you'll find our Instagram and Facebook links, as well as our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church Madera. Thanks for listening. Well, you're ready for the word of God today. Yes. <laughs> Me, too. I just got to find it. Oh, here we go. Uh, we are starting a new series this morning on the book of Acts. And uh, we wrapped up our series on fasting. And I kind of challenged you, just because we wrapped up the four weeks doesn't mean we're going to stop fasting. We're, gonna, we're, we're developing a pattern, a rhythm of fasting and seeking the Lord, offering our whole bodies to Him. Uh, and learning how to deny our, our flesh, crucify our flesh in sins, and follow after Jesus. Amen? amen? So I encourage you to, just because we're moving into Acts now, doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to just eat whatever I want all the time. We're going to continue to press in. Can I get an amen to that? Amen! Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah! All right, that's good. Good job. All right, the book of Acts. Man, I, I, love, I love the book of Acts. Amen! It's a, such a phenomenal, powerful book. And on Wednesday night, if you weren't here... We kind of did an overview of that, kind of went into the historical background of that, uh, and, uh, and I'll, give a, I'll touch a little bit on that this morning, but not very much, because um, what we're going to do on our Wednesday nights is, as we gather together in men's group, women's group, youth, uh, and all those, we'll, we'll dive deeper into the text on those Wednesday nights, so I encourage you, if you, you want more of what we're getting on Sunday, come on Wednesdays and really plug into that. Not only will it help us dive deeper into the Word of God, but it also helps us build community. And build relationships, and we all need that. But the reason we're jumping into Acts is, for I'm going to give you four reasons why. Um, you don't have to write these things down. They're just kind of where I felt the Lord was prompting my heart for why we should go into Acts now, and, and not another book of the Bible. And the first one is this. We're, we're going to go into Acts because it's the Word of God. That's first and foremost, right? We're going to go into the Word of God and, and because it's the Word of God. And we need to understand what the Word says, and Acts is a powerful book on understanding what God is doing and how he works. the The other reason why we're going into the book of Acts uh, this this morning, and we're going to be going chapter and verse through the into all 28 chapters. We're really going to walk out together, and, and as long as it takes. I'm not putting a timestamp on it because the Lord hasn't put a timestamp on it. We might come in and out of some other things, but we're really going to walk in this uh, throughout the rest of this year, um, and and following the Lord's prompting in that. But but the book of Acts it depicts the first 30 years of the of the church from the time Jesus ascends into heaven to where they, they go down and they wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit up until uh, all, all of Peter's ministry and, and up to Paul's ministry and then he get, when, until he gets arrested and he's taken to Rome. It goes all the way those first 30 years within the church. And a lot happens in those 30 years. And the, the book of Acts is the only detailed history that we have of those 30 years within the, within the body of Christ, within the church. And so it's phenomenal and it's a powerful book for us. I also believe that it's it's vital for us to see and understand the pattern of God pouring out His Spirit. There's a pattern and a purpose behind why God does what He does, and the book of Acts describes that to us in detail. And so we want to understand not only how God pours out His Spirit, but why He does that. And the last thing is this. I think that our, as a church, as Central Valley Church, I believe that we're about to encounter an even greater outpouring of God's Spirit than we have in the past. And I'm believing that, that we need to understand what God is doing when that happens and what we're supposed to do with it. So that when we, don't, so when we, we, need, when we encounter revival, that we just don't have like, wow, that was an awesome two weeks. And then nothing. we don't steward what God was doing because we didn't know how to do it. And I believe the book of Acts is going to help us understand how to steward a move of God, the move of God that's happening in 2024. And that's why I believe God has called us to jump into the book of Acts together. So I want you to go ahead and turn to to Acts chapter 1. Before we get into the text, I want to kind of give a slight overview, some insight into the text as you're turning there. Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts picks up right where the Gospels leave off, right? Recording every event that we see in the early church um, for those who follow Jesus. It depicts the church beginning to spread out as Jesus commanded them to do, right? When Jesus tells them, I'm, I'm sending you to go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? That's the end in, in Matthew's gospel. And then we begin to see the church doing that. And we, right in a moment, we'll, we'll read in, in, uh, in the first chapter of Acts, we see Jesus tell them again. He commands them to, again to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we begin to see the church do that. And we, and we also are going to see in, in the, the book of Acts the incorporation of the non-Jewish people. That's us, most right? Unless you're Jewish, then and, and welcome. But I didn't, that's the rest of us, right? The early church really wrestled with that, because it was a Jewish movement by a Jewish man who was a, Jew, a Jewish messiah, and then, then they realize, wait, God's touching non-Jewish people, the Gentile people. Is that what's going to happen? And they have to wrestle with that. And we'll talk about that in chapter 15, several, several, several weeks from now. But we'll get there. We see the early church beginning to grow out beyond just a Jewish movement to a worldwide movement. We see the early church begin to, begin to do what Jesus commanded them to do. This is the, this is the, the, the book of Acts is, a, is the second New Testament book written by, the, by a man named Luke, who wrote the Gospel according to Luke. And it's written between 60 and 64 AD. There's reasons for that. I gave those on Wednesday. Um, if you don't know them, you can look those up. But that's how we understand the dating, the first 30 years of the church. And the first book is the, that Luke wrote was the Gospel according to Luke. And, he's, and he writes both books to a man named Theophilus. And in this portion of, of, he he just calls him Theophilus in the the gospel according to Luke. He says, uh, uh, excellent Theophilus. So a lot of people thought he was a Roman leader or a high-ranking official, but we're not quite sure. But what I really love about his name and the fact that Luke wrote a gospel and the book of Acts to him is that in the Greek, his name means lover of God. And I think, well, if he's not talking to a specific person, but he's talking to those who love God, then that's also me. So this letter is also written to me, and it's written to you if you are a lover of God. Amen. And we can take it in and say, God, I love you. I want to know you. I want to know more about you. I want to I uh, take in your word. I want to I begin to digest the word of God inside of me. And so this is the book that we're diving into. Now, in the Bible, and, and may, in my Bible, maybe in your Bible, depending on what translation you have, the, the title of Acts is, the, the full title is, The Acts of the Apostles. But I believe more accurately that the title should be The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the main character. The Holy Spirit's given main character vibes throughout the entire book. Of the we have no Gen Z in here? Main character vibes? No? Sorry. Right. Thought I'd throw it out there, but no one like we don't know what that means. The Holy Spirit is the main character of the book of Acts. Why do I say that? Because in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned no less than 56 times in 28 chapters. Now, if you think that's not that big of a deal, it's the Bible. Well, if you combine all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you put them together, all of the times they reference the Holy Spirit, it's 34 times. If you take Paul's longest letters, Romans and 1 Corinthians, and you compile those together, it's 45 times. So just in this one letter, we see the Holy Spirit time and time and time and time and time and time again mentioned because this is about Him. This is about the, the continuing work of Jesus in the people of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. That's the book of Acts. and So it's, it's His continued work. And one of the greatest points of confusion for believers revolves around the Holy Spirit and His working and gifts in our lives. Would you agree? Some of the greatest confusion that we have as believers is, who's the Holy Spirit? What's He doing? Is He still doing what He's doing? Is He not doing it? What are the gifts? What are they there for? Right? It's a major confusion. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 1, he says that we should not be ignorant of the Holy Spirit or the spiritual gifts He gives, but many of us still are. So I believe that the book of Acts is going to help clarify and clear up some of these misconceptions or some of these areas in our life that we might be ignorant. Right? And this is one of the reasons why we're also studying the book together. I believe that if you want to grow in not only your knowledge of the Holy Spirit, but you want to grow in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, reading the book of Acts is going to definitely help us. So my hope is that as we walk through the book of Acts together, that many of our questions about the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts... Will be, will be answered in this time together, especially in these first few chapters. We're going to really see uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what it's there for, what's, what, uh, what's, the, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit all about. So we're going to really dive into that together. One reason that there are so many questions about the Holy Spirit and the gifts is because of how some denominations, some churches have interpreted Scripture around these gifts. Right, Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and let me, re, let me reiterate this, our brothers and sisters in Christ, just because people have a differing opinion or approach to Scripture doesn't mean that they're outside of the family of God. Can I say that? So some of our brothers and sisters in Christ um, have come to this conclusion that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, like healing gifts, or prophecy, or tongues, or other, other gifts of the Spirit, they believe that they are no longer needed since, the, since we have the completed Word of God, the Bible. So some of our brothers and sisters kind of ascribe to that. And that movement or that belief system is called cessationism, or ceased is the, the root word there, that these things have ceased. The Holy Spirit's no longer working in that way because the church was established, the Word of God was given, and so we don't need those things anymore. Okay, that's the, that's the framework. But if you're not uh, aware of where you were, we're at, we're a charismatic Pentecostal church. So we don't ascribe to that because we believe the Holy Spirit's still moving in the same ways He did in the early church. Yeah. We fall into this category, that, and we're called continuationists. That the, the, it's really, uh, really creative naming, right? Cessationists, because we've ceased. Continuationists, because we continue. We believe the gifts continue. We're continuationists. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit, all of the gifts of the Spirit are still being given and in operation today. And we will continue to need them until the coming of our Lord Jesus and He takes us home. Amen. We believe that, the, that now more than ever before, we need the Holy Spirit working in the people Amen. of God. Amen. So, And I'm not here to argue points between both camps. I'm not here to pick a fight, right? I'm here to preach the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak for itself. Then I would contend and I would, I would put forth that Scripture states that the moment the gifts stop is when we see Jesus face to face. We don't need tongues anymore when we're in the presence of God. We don't need healing anymore because He's our complete healer and everyone who's there in His presence are there. We don't need uh, prophecy because He knows our business. We don't need those things. They cease because we see Him face to face. But until that day comes, the Holy Spirit is still working in and amongst us through these gifts that are empowering us to do the work of the gospel. Amen. So we love our cessationist brothers and sisters, and we, continue, we encourage them to continue to search for the scriptures. Amen? A little word play there. Continuationist. Anyway. Thank you. For, was that a laugh or a choke? Well, I don't know what that was. but well, Thank you, man. I appreciate it. He's like, I'm a cessationist, bro. You're choking me up. No, just kidding. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a major reason we see so many questions in the church. It's, it's around those issues. And so there, there was a time, uh, just a personal story, there was a time um, when there was a local church in the valley, a pretty large church in the valley. Anytime that they would be going through, through passages of Scripture that dealt with these things, like 1 Corinthians or whatever, I, I instinctively knew about it because my friends that attend that church would all call me and say, can we go to lunch? They wanted to talk about it because there's so much stuff going around there. Like, hey, we're preaching that these things don't work anymore, but we know that you've experienced these things, so what's your story? And we would sit down and have lunch uh, over and over again when uh, any time those churches would go into it. So that's, that's kind of what we're going to walk through as we look at the book of Acts and just say, Lord, what are you doing? What's the, what is the, what's the purpose of these gifts? What's the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's really going to a- answer some of those questions as we dive into it. Amen? Amen. So let's pray together, and then we'll get into the text this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you are near by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you, Jesus, that you have brought us into your family, that we have been adopted, and we can now call ourselves children of God, where we cry out to you, Abba, Father. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us through your word today. Open our ears to hear, God. Open our hearts to receive, Lord. We we set aside any preconceived notions of what may or may not be. But we believe that you, through your word, will speak to our hearts. We're ready to receive from you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Acts chapter one, starting in verse one. This is Luke writing. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began, say began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the, present, the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's stop right there. The reason why Luke starts the book of Acts with Jesus instructing the disciples about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because that's where the power comes from. He begins to... We're going to read throughout the the book of Acts. There's tremendous stories of miracles, signs, and wonders. And if we don't comprehend right off the bat that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that these things are being done, then all of a sudden what we do is we begin to elevate these followers of Jesus as somehow superhuman or beyond supernatural. And we think, well, they could only do that, but it's not... We can't do that. It was only them. But when we realize it's not even them... It's the Holy Spirit through them that begins to work these miracles, signs, and wonders. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the same power, the same Spirit that lives, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives inside you and I. So that's why Luke begins by saying, Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father is poured out over you. And John baptized in water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So don't leave that place. It has to begin with the empowering of the people of God through the Holy Spirit so that we don't get it twisted. We don't get to say, well, Peter could do that, but we can't do that. Paul could do that, or we can't do that. Stephen could do that. He could see the heavens opened up and and preach a phenomenal message and then get stoned. We can't do that kind of stuff. No. We, We walk in the same Holy Spirit. So Luke points this out. As we move through Scripture, we don't want to, uh, in the book of Acts, as it's, as it's describing what's happening in the, in the early years of the church, that we understand these things are attributed to the Holy Spirit and no one else. What the Holy Spirit needed from people was their yes. And then the Holy Spirit did the work. He needed their obedience, and then the Holy Spirit did the work. If Luke didn't start with the power that, where, where the power came from, we would get things all twisted up. So looking back at verse 4, Jesus told the disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, meaning this. Don't start the work that I've called you to do until you have been empowered to do the work by the immersion of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what baptism means. It means immersion into something. It means saturated and soaked through and through. So in water baptism, when when we do water baptism here, Right, we baptize people completely, immerse them in water. Not a single person that we've baptized ever comes out dry. Have you noticed? They never come out. We're like, what are you? Are you rubbed down with oil? How did that happen? No, they're saturated. They're soaked. They're dripping. They're leaving a residue as they walk out of the baptismal. And when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying the same thing. Your life as followers has to be immersed, saturated, and soaked in the Holy Spirit in such a way that you leave a trail everywhere you go. Before you begin to do the work of the the kingdom of God, you've got to be empowered by the kingdom of God. And the empowerment comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Spirit baptism means to be immersed. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Spirit baptism means to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I think I forgot to mention, but we do have the U version Bible app, Y O U version Bible app. All the notes and questions and scripture are all found there if you want to follow along, uh, or if you have your Bible, just continue. You can write your notes down in a journal, the old school way with paper and pen. I kind of like that one way better. Anyway, anybody like that? Actually, bringing a notebook and a hard Bible. I'm saying I like it, but then I have an iPad, so whatever. But I do like it. I like the feel of it. So Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father to be immersed, to be saturated, to be soaked in God, the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be able to do what I've called you to do. The problem is, so many believers, we, we come to the Lord, we, re- we receive salvation through the Holy Spirit, and then we try to live our lives out, and we're like, man, I just feel, I just feel I'm struggling. I wonder if we would look at closely at the word and say maybe I need to wait for something from a promise from the Father. So the disciples, what's interesting is the disciples don't really get it, right? If we continue to read on, in verse 6, they, they, they begin to change the subject. So in verse 6 they say this, so, so he tells them, don't leave Jerusalem until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they're like, so when, uh, when are you restoring the kingdom? Is that happening right now? They say to him, when they come together, they say, say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus, he told them, look, you're about to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you can do my work in the world. And they're like, yeah, but what about ruling and reigning right now? What about glory right now? We don't, you talk about work, but we, we just want to be glorified. What they're asking is, are we going to be now in a part of your, are you setting up your earthly kingdom? And the reason they're asking that is for, because for centuries, the Jewish people have read through their Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, about the Messiah who is to come that would set up his millennial kingdom, where there will be a kingdom that he rules over for a thousand years, and Israel will be glorified as the place where he rules from. So that day is coming. Do you know that? Israel will be glorified, and the kingdom of God will establish the kingdom in Israel. But what they're asking is, is that right now? Is that happening right now? And we know that it's not right now because we understand the, the, the second coming of Jesus. And they were thinking, this is it. The Messiah has come. He's done His thing. Now He's going to establish the kingdom. And Jesus says, look, look at Jesus' response. He brings them back to the topic. Verse 7, he says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His authority. What he's telling them is, don't skip ahead. There's still work to be done before that day happens, which is why he says in verse 8 again, But you will receive power. I want you to highlight power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the, if you're taking notes, i want you to write this down. The reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for emp- empowering the believer. It's to empower your life as a follower of Jesus. To do what? To just speak in tongues? No. To prophesy? No. No, to lay hands on the sick. No, all those things are good things, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is that we would be His witnesses. We would be able to tell a world with boldness who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit comes upon us primarily, first and foremost, to empower us to be a witness, a light in the darkness. Now, while I love speaking in in tongues, I pray in the Spirit every day because I understand what it does for me. It does, the Holy Spirit prays through me. He edifies me. He builds me up. He intercedes for others through me when I don't know what they're, what's going on in your life, but I'm praying. and pray in tongues for you. And the Holy Spirit will pray for you through me. Right? I love those things, but let's not get mixed up here. We don't come to church and have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and have goosebumps and be like, ooh, that was a good service, and then we leave here and we're not empowered to be a witness to a world that is dying without Jesus. Yes. We, we are here to, to come and be encouraged, to be challenged, to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to be lifted up, and then say, now go be disciples of Jesus and make other disciples of Jesus. Amen. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. That's why He falls, so that we would be his, the Lord's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What He means by that is in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, in the people you don't like, and to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses. And I know you can't do it on your own, so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to empower you, to give you power from on high. And all these things I mentioned before, healing, prophecy, all those things flow out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they're vital, and they're good, and they're edifying. But we are immersed in the Holy Spirit so that we will be witnesses of the good news of Jesus, first and foremost. Now, the question is, do we still need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that? Do we still need the the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Jesus? It's a good question. Let me ask you another one. Are there still people who don't know Jesus? Yes. So the answer is also yes. Our world is growing more and more wicked, or at least it is becoming more and more in our face how wicked our world is. And we think the Holy Spirit has, has gone on vacation and said, well, I established something but y'all finish up my work. I don't think so. The Bible says he is the author and the finisher. He is the one who walks with us through it. And so as God has birthed the church, he didn't, he didn't create the church and then say, all right, now you're on your own because you, have, you can read the Bible. No, he says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to bring the Bible to life to you. I'm going to show you the scriptures. I'm going to show you Jesus in it. And I'm going to empower you to speak the word of God in truth. And I'll give you these gifts so that others can know and they can be encouraged and they can find healing and they can find uh, reconciliation and redemption and all these other things that flow out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we still need the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. And now just a quick note here about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are some who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Acts 2 is the first time the Holy Spirit is given to believers. Right, So they'll say that because the Holy Spirit wasn't given beforehand, that's the time that they received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And the reason that argument is given is because for charismatic Pentecostals, we believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a secondary, subsequent filling of the Spirit. The first time you receive the Holy Spirit is upon salvation. The Bible says that no one comes to Jesus except they have been drawn by the Holy Spirit. And the moment that you say yes to Jesus and you give your heart to Him, your heart is regenerated. You have been given new life by the power of the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and makes His home, His dwelling place, inside of you at the moment of salvation. So you have the Holy Spirit. But there is a subsequent, a secondary filling of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2. And so as, as some have said, no, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to the disciples until that point. But the problem is, Scripture doesn't say that. First, because Jesus said the promise of the Father would be given to you as believers to what? To empower you to witness, not to save you. He didn't say, hey, wait for the promise of the Father so that you can get saved, so that the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. He doesn't say that. He says, that, wait for the promise of the Father that will give you power from on high to be my witnesses to the world around you. Amen. The second reason we know that this is not the, the first time the Holy Spirit is pointed out is because Scripture says so. In John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22, if you'll turn there, John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, it says this, on the evening of that day, what, are the, what day is it talking about? It's talking about Resurrection Sunday. Jesus comes out of the grave and the evening, as the sun is going down, the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, that's why, we, that's why we meet on Sunday, by the way, the doors were locked because the disciples were still afraid for their lives. They, they hadn't seen Jesus. They're still terrified. They think they're, they're going to be killed. And Jesus shows up to them, and he came and he stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He still bore the wounds that we gave him. Then the disciples were glad. Could you imagine? Yeah, of course they were glad. They're like, what? Mind's blown. They see the, their, their risen Savior right in front of them. So says they were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was given to them. That was moment of salvation for them. That's the Holy Spirit poured out on them for salvation. They have regeneration right there in that moment. And then Jesus walks with them for 40 days, teaching them and showing them and all of these other things. And then when he's about to ascend to the Father, then he says, wait for the promise of the Father. Is that good? Hopefully that's some clarity there. The, the moment That moment they see in John chapter 20 is their moment of salvation where they are born again, where they are regenerated. So the idea is there are two separate movements of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. The first movement or function of the Holy Spirit is, the, is at salvation. The Holy Spirit comes in. Right? So if you receive Jesus today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we pray the prayer and you invite the Holy Spirit in, you might, you might feel the Holy Spirit come inside you. You might feel life transformation, regeneration right there in that moment. That's the first movement or first step of the Holy Spirit. The second one is what we understand to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's for empowering you to witness of the good things of Jesus. Now, that's not to say... If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you have less of the Holy Spirit in your life than, than another believer. Because I want to, we have a weird thing, we have a weird way of thinking about the Holy Spirit. Like, well, I have more of him and you have less of him. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't divide himself up in that way. He's not like, well, I'll just touch you, but I'm going like, to fill you. He doesn't work that way. So the Holy Spirit doesn't divide himself up in in terms of lesser or more than. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But there are different works or function of the Holy Spirit that can operate in our lives as believers if we are baptized or immersed or saturated in him. Does that make sense? So there is a saturation moment called baptism where the Holy Spirit functions in the life of a believer in a different way. And, and we, are, we believe and we're, we're, at, we're, we're taught through Scripture that we are to ask for that and wait for that and to receive it so that we would be empowered to do the work of the kingdom of God. So my, my position is that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to function in those ways. We need it. And we need it more and more and more every day. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-and-done thing, friend. Because as we look throughout Scripture... Over and over again, it'll say that we know Peter was there waiting in the upper room and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then later on in Scripture, it says that Peter, baptizing the Holy Spirit, began to say certain things, and it was the Holy Spirit pouring more of himself out, because the problem is we dry out. Amen. Anybody else? Come on. Am I talking to... You're all saturated in the Holy Spirit today? We, we dry out. We need more. So we, I even continue to ask, Lord, baptize me afresh in your Holy Spirit. Saturate my life again, God. I want to drip with the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to leave a residue everywhere I go because I've, I've soaked in the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. And that's what we want as followers of Jesus. We want to be saturated. We want to be soaked in Him. I'm not content with like, well, I can pray in tongues. No, that's the beginning of it. From our, from our denominational standpoint, we say that it is, the, it is the, the initial physical evidence. But it ain't the last. So many people have been, we, 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 get, we get filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe we pray in a prayer language, and we're like, okay, that's it. What do you mean that? You just started. There's so much more. The saturation of the Spirit is more than that. Hopefully I'm making sense to you. I'm not freaking you out. I'm hoping I'm helping somebody. Like, two people in the back, like, I'm freaked out. All right, verse 9. We're almost done here. We're just going to go to 11. We're not going through the whole chapter today, okay? Verse 9 says this, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Could you imagine? As they're standing there, and he just like, Poof. I don't know what he did with his hands, but in my mind was just like, See you. No, I don't. He was lifted up. It says he was lifted up, and a cloud, say cloud, a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing, yeah, of course, while they were staring up into heaven, as he went, behold, two men who stood by them with white robes, those are angels, by the way, said to him, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as he, you saw him go into heaven. If you're taking notes, I want you to highlight that. The same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way. Highlight, in the same way as you saw him go. As a church, we believe that Jesus is coming again. And in the same way that he went, he will also come back. So it gives us clues what to look for when he comes back. Matthew 24, 30. These are Jesus' words talking about his return. 24.30 24.30 says this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So a cloud took him up, and he's coming back on a cloud. And the question is, then where, where will he return? Because he says, in the same way, in the, basically they say, in the same place. And the same way that he went is the same way and the same place he'll come. Well, we know where he came where he left from because Acts 1 the next verse verse 12 says this. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. That's, now you know where we got the name for our baby girl. <laughs> Jesus descend on her also. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So he ascended from the Mount of Olives, and he will also return and the Mount of Olives. And you don't know where that's at. That's also in Israel. Well, Jesus is coming back there. So why is that significant? Because the pro- a prophecy was written about the Messiah... ...in the prophet Zechariah, the book of Zechariah. I'm going to give you this verse, and chapter and verse... ...real quick as well. We'll read it. Talking about the coming of Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. Zechariah 14, starting in verse 4, it says... "...on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that on, the, on one half the mount shall be moved northward and on the other half southward. And you shall flee into the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the, the mountains shall reach Aziel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake on the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones will come with him. So that's the second coming of Jesus. Now I need to give some more clarity, because there's still a bit more confusion in relation to Jesus' second coming and his coming for his church. So let me describe that. All right, so the, uh, I'm going to kind of lay it out in sequence, and you can write this down. I think there are notes back there, but I'm not sure if I put them in. The first one, the, the, the first coming of Jesus, right? He's born of a virgin, lying in a manger. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. He teaches us, but He is a servant. He's humble. He's meek, and He is led like a, a, a lamb to the slaughter. The first time Jesus comes, He's the Lamb of God who will pay for the sins of the world. He'll be sacrificed for us. His blood poured out. He's the suffering servant that prophet Isaiah talks about. Right? That's his first coming. The reason why Jew, the Jewish nation doesn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah is because they weren't looking for the lamb. They were looking for the lion. And they're thinking, I'm going to talk about it in just a second. But they were looking for the, for the wrong presentation of the Messiah. So Jesus' first coming was the lamb, the suffering servant. Then in his resurrection, he's vindicated. He, the, he, told, he told them, I'm, I'm the Son of God. The Father and I are one. Jesus called himself God. He says before Abraham was, I am. The Jewish people knew what that meant. Jesus was saying, I am God. And they said, no, you're not. We're going to kill you for that. It's blasphemous. They kill him. Three days later, he comes back from the dead saying, like I was right. The resurrection is the vindication that Jesus is who he said he is. Hallelujah. And not only is it his vindication, but it also gives us victory over death, hell, and the grave because Jesus took the keys of them as he died and was resurrected. And also it gives us the opportunity to have eternal life for those who believe. Because the Bible says just as he died and was raised, we also will be raised with him. And so the resurrection is demonstration that we have eternal life in him. Then in the Ascension, we see that He goes in the clouds from Mount Olivet. And then, between the Ascension, we're between the Ascension and the Rapture. Okay, The the Bible says that He's going to come back for His church. And in the Rapture, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that we will meet Him in the air. So Jesus is coming back, but He's not touching, touching the earth. He's in the clouds saying, come up here. And then I'm like, "Shoo." You can do whatever pose you want during the rapture. I don't care. I'm thinking Superman. But he calls the church up to him. Right? That's not Jesus' second coming. That's the rapture. At the second coming, Jesus comes not as the lamb, but as the lion. He comes as the conquering king. He comes as the one who splits mountains open. He's the one who comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. The question that the disciples asked him at the beginning was, are you doing that now? And he says, nope, I'm doing that later. Until that point, there's work to be done. And since there's work to be done, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of the Father, to empower you to establish the kingdom and to live this thing out until that day comes that I come back and I split the mountains. So the reason why the Jewish nation doesn't know Jesus as their Messiah and Savior is because they've still been looking for a ruler, a a conquering king who who will defeat their enemies and establish an earthly kingdom. But they missed him the first time because they weren't looking for a lamb who would die for for the sins of the people. And so we missed him. They missed him. But by the grace of God, we see him for who he is, the Lamb of God who is also coming back for his church and who will also return one day and step foot on the Mount of Olives and establish his kingdom and defeat the enemy and set all things right. So Jesus is coming. He's coming for his bride and his church. But until that day comes, as the worship team comes forward, until that day comes, we've been given power by the Holy Spirit to do the work of Jesus to be His witnesses everywhere we go. Amen? Amen. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel where you'll hear past episodes. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate it and share it with friends. It'll help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.com and click on the giving link. We love you. God bless.